What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Today, had a great uh, conversation with my homeboy, David Calavita. We became friends through Instagram. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet, but David's done a lot of awesome things in his life. Lots of experience in youth ministry. He's spoken at Steubenville conferences. He now works for uh, Life Teen and does great work for them. And we just had a great talk around this idea, you know, I wrote a blog on this before that indifference is the evil or is the greatest poison of our time, a quote from St. Maximilian Colby. And a lot of times I think even myself, I take that quote and I apply it to people's indifference and apathy towards injustices and problems that are taking place around the world today. But today we take a little bit of a different approach and talk about how indifferent and apathetic people are towards their own lives, their own salvation, their own marriages, their own careers, things like that. And so we had a really fired up conversation. We both got pretty hyped, which is how you know I like to get it. So it was awesome. I hope you enjoy it. God bless. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. You are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom, to go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ, to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. We're not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, my man? It is great to have you with me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. For sure, man. We, you know, we've been Instagram friends for a while. I love my Instagram homies. I think it's so yep. fun how we get to have, you know, to be like these uh, interesting, I just think they're like interesting relationships, right? Because we've never met each other before. We've never even Zoomed before today. So this is fun yep. to do, but um you know we know so much about each other and we know so many like what would be for a lot of the world like intimate you know like closely held yeah. beliefs <laughs> yeah. we both talk about a lot so we know you know what I mean some, some of these like you know closer closely held things to each other which is interesting for sure yeah you can kind of get to know a lot about someone just for kind of what they're putting out into the world and I think through social media is a good place to obviously there could be a lot of fake stuff but what you're putting out is pretty authentic and plus, you know some good people that I know, and it's kind of like that Venn diagram of good people. And if I can find myself in the middle, I'm down with it. All right, amen to that. Yeah, that's always that's always a lot of fun. It is cool to see just how much overlap there is. You know what I mean? In the Catholic world, is really crazy, but yeah, it's awesome, man. So I'm I'm always grateful for your encouragement when I'm going off the rails and ranting about something on social media. Yeah. You know, because there's plenty of pushback. So it's always good we can encourage each other to be bold. And uh, it's been beautiful watching you, you know, obviously, uh, I think a great example to men, especially, you know, uh, with your family and the work that you're doing to, to make the world a better place. So 
really grateful for that, man. And so just excited today, you know, first, I'd love to have you just introduce yourself. As I said before, you know, I don't know that much about your personal life. So I'm excited to hear whatever you're going to share about your life and background story and things like that. So take it away. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, uh, officially, I'm David Calavita. Um, and uh, let's see, I um, have a beautiful wife. Her name is Brittany. We've been married for 15 years now. And uh, we have a son who will be five next month. So uh, we've got, you can kind of do the math. We had about a 10 year stint of infertility in our marriage there. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of grace there, a lot of pain and suffering and just uh, fruit out of all of that. A lot of solidarity and really just diving into some really um, life-giving aspects of the church and the teachings of the church through that situation, finding uh, good doctors, good, good support. And uh, by the grace right. of God, little, little, little boy now, his name's Judah. And uh, like I said, he'll be five next month. He's, um, man, he's everything you can imagine. He is 100% all the time, you know. Uh, but what, my wife and I joke, we, um, <laughs> it's two of us and one of him, and yet somehow we're outnumbered, right? Like he's just, he's that much of a kid, like from the minute that's he wakes up. Yeah, from the minute he goes to sleep, he's just, he's on. Uh, so that's our little family. We uh, born and raised out in California. My wife and I both grew up out here, and um, we met in the same youth ministry program back in a desert town wow. where we grew up. Yeah, yeah, super, uh, super grateful for that. We had a, we had actually a, a really phenomenal life team youth ministry program at our, our little church. And um, we met there and kind of knew each other for a couple of years and then started dating off and on. And, and eventually it just kind of became very clear that this is what's supposed to happen. And uh, yeah, so we got married. And uh, since then, uh, I've been working in ministry. I was a youth minister for about 14, uh, 14 years in a parish, a couple different wow. parishes. Um, and then on the side of that, I just, I got really interested in design. I think, um, I've always kind of had like a, uh, a fascination with artistic sort of endeavors growing up and stuff. And that got me interested in design. And I realized I needed a lot of just visuals, aesthetics, all that stuff matters when it comes to ministering to teens in the heart of Orange County, California, right? Like I found myself at a parish. Yeah, sure. I mean, we were smack dab in the middle of Orange County. We had Disneyland, you know, maybe like 20, 30 minutes one way, then some of the best beaches in the world, you know, 20 minutes in another direction, you got million dollar shopping malls and stuff. And, and where I was, was a very wealthy area, uh, very affluent. And so these kids had all the money they wanted to go and do whatever they wanted to do. And I realized very quickly, like if, if I couldn't at least catch their attention some way, they were going to give my youth ministry the time of day, right? right not because right. they were bad kids, but they didn't see, there was no um, realization of, do I need this or not? And you can't convince them if they need it or not until they're actually looking at you, so to speak. And so sure. I, got, I got into design that way for my own parish, for my own events and uh, just different things like that. And then that led me to doing some freelance here and there. And then ultimately um, Life Teen had called me up and uh, asked me to take a position doing design for them. And uh, I said, no. Uh, I was still just dead set on the parish where we were at. It was, God was doing so much good stuff and uh, ended up staying there for about two more years after that phone call. Uh, And then it became kind of clear, like it was just time to move on. There was a lot of things changing at the parish. And um, I didn't want to start over at a new parish at that point in time. And so uh, as God would have it, Life Team called again. And uh, I was like, sure, like, let's do it. So kind of changed careers, changed everything we moved wow. to atlanta georgia from california we were out there for about a year and uh it was That's a big one, switch you know dude tell me about it man like 
overnight, like we have great community out here in uh, Southern California. Like for me, like a lot of the guys you probably know, right? Like, 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 like uh, Bobby, right? Francis Camillo, Chris Mueller, like really struck uh, Paul Kim, like really good people out here in California that we would often meet like every week, every other week for Holy hour, for lunch, to pray together and really just encourage each other. And um, overnight it was like, I got to leave that uh, not, not only a new job, but a new type of career. Right, went right. from youth ministry now to like sitting behind a computer for eight hours a day, and we moved from California to uh, the South to Atlanta. Right, um, and uh, it was glorious and the worst year of my life, um, for, but in a beautiful way. Like I, I kind of went into this crazy depression, and God finally was just able to do so many cool things in my heart uh, in terms of just redeeming my image of him, my image of myself, my image of why I'm in ministry, right? Like what makes me worthy or unworthy or whatever it may be. And, um, and ultimately came to a point, Life Team, uh, we have really cool leaders at Life Team, very prayerful people. And uh, my direct boss, Mark Hart, and then our president, Randy Rouse, they uh, hit me up one day and uh, we were already convinced, Brittany and I, that we had to move back to California. Yeah. We wanted to move back to California for just a lot of different aches on our hearts. Life team was like, hey, um, we just we want y'all to be happy. Um, if that means moving back to California, like we'll set you up to work remotely and and get you going out there. And I was just like, oh, that's what a coincidence because our bags are packed kind of thing. And yeah. moved back to California. And wow. uh, now I work remotely for Life Team. I am the director of creative and marketing. And uh, I work out here in California. I have a really cool office on the second floor of uh, an amazing parish that my family attends. Uh, the priest here is a really good friend of mine. So he's like, yeah, come on, set up shop here. So Life Team's in Arizona and Georgia, but I work out here in California and um, I have people on my team in different parts of the state. So now I just try to do my best to uh, to build up a team, to work with them and, and be as, uh, as creative as you can, given all the constraints that the world will throw at us, time and money and events and all these things. And uh, it's, it's adventure. It's been, it's fun. I enjoy it uh, at the heart of it though. Like I think I'm still a youth minister, you know, like that's sure. what got me into design into marketing in the first place. And that's really uh, what keeps driving it. I have a hard time thinking about doing design or ministry outside. I'm sorry, design or marketing outside of a ministry setting. Uh, so it's kind of, I'm, I'm blessed where I am and uh, just keep trying to grow in it, you know? Yeah, that's amazing, man. And you go to Solano, is that right? Is yeah, that right? yeah, yeah. So San Francisco, Solano is our parish here. <laughs> it's a mouthful. So we live in a city. So we moved up to this area, it's been maybe about 20 minutes from where we used to live. Um, after my son was born, I was working from home, like my office was in our bedroom. And that's just an unhealthy circumstance, you know? That's tough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and then, man, it was so heartbreaking because um, it got to a point where once my son was born, and maybe about a year and a half, two years old, like he's, he's walking, he's mobile and his dad and, and I'm working in the back room and the door's open, I'm on a call or something and he just wants to see daddy. And it's like, I remember a few times having to get up and like, sh like not be mean, but like shut the door in his face, you know, like, cause he doesn't right. understand what's going on. It was just so heartbreaking as a parent. I was like, I got to get out of the house. Like, and at the right. same time, uh, Father Dewey, who is the associate here at the time, became the pastor. And he's like, look, like, he's like, I, I love Life Team. I want you just to kind of be present with my staff. And if there's anything, you know, we can collaborate, talk about just your involvement here. It's like, we'll give you office space. And uh, I was like, done in a heartbeat. So we, we moved into this office here, or I did. 
at the same time, by God's grace, we're able to buy like a little two bedroom townhome about a half a mile from here, which in California is a big deal to be able to buy something. So oh, super yeah. great for that. Um, and uh, yeah, so this church now it's San Francisco Solano in the city of Rancho Santa Margarita. So it's a mouthful. <laughs> so we just call it Solano and uh, it's, we've been amazing right. pastor, amazing associate here. And um, just, man, like our pastor is such a vision. He really makes this place a place that you want to invest into, you know? So mm-hmm. more than just a place we attend, like it's actually become an anchor in our life. And in this past year with all the craziness going on in California, we've thought more than once about what is life outside of California. And, you know, we're constantly trying to discern that and pray that, pray through that what God would want. But at the same time, um, one of the things that we just feel so attached to is this parish here. And after working in parishes for, you know, 14, 15 years, I've never felt that affinity towards a parish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, and it's not to say that I was indifferent towards our parish, but uh, I don't know, there's just such a vision here that really brings a lot of life to our family. And and what more, what, what is there more important than that when it comes to the idea of raising my son or the health of our marriage or or whatever it may be. So I don't know, grateful to be here for sure. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I remember, so we got to work with Father Dewey uh, when you guys were in, or when I shouldn't, I shouldn't speak on that. I don't know what the status is of Dynamic Parish, but when I oh. worked at Dynamic Catholic, I was, yeah, I was a Dynamic Parish consultant for the diocese. I had Austin, Texas and Kansas City. Awesome. And, awesome. And so, yeah, so my, <laughs> Bill Baird uh, was working closely with <laughs> Father Dewey. Did you ever yeah. meet Bill? I think I did on one of his trips out here. I mean, there was a few times where the, the whole camera crew was out following up. Yeah. Me around and stuff and and the, the dream of father dewey out uh, there exactly yeah yeah and father dewey's done like a lot of young adult ministry that's kind of how we became friends in the diocese doing a lot of young adult stuff and um so there's these uh events called mass underground it's sort of like this like pop-up yeah. mass that happens on the spur of the moment uh send out like an address and that kind of thing and then young adults just kind of come and uh, uh dynamic catholic when they were out here they were they came to one of those and started filming and stuff. So we got to know a few of the people from the team. Uh, obviously, their slates are completely packed when they're out here trying to get as much as they oh, can yeah. done for over a weekend or whatever. But uh, yeah. it's cool to see it happening. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, what a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, and, and just so awesome, obviously, that you've been blessed, you know, with your son after those yeah. 10 years. I can imagine that was a, a challenging time. Um, but yeah, awesome to see where you're at now and how God's continue to work through you and, and yeah, work through you and Brittany and yeah, it's amazing, man. I'm so happy to hear that. So what a journey. So we both lived in Georgia. That's another thing we had in common. I lived in Georgia for a year, um, uh, in Columbus, Fort Benning, Georgia. So oh, my first right. year in the army. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I was down there. Yeah. And it was, it was a good time. I, I liked it, but yeah, would want to live there long-term myself either. Yeah. Uh, but I can imagine having moved you know, somewhat long distances. I've never done that far before. I can imagine that would be quite the shakeup. Yeah. yeah. And Georgia wasn't like bad in and of itself or anything. It was more just uh, looking back. I just, I see just God. It's some of the ways that God needed to get to some things deep inside my heart. And it was like, yeah. you removed from like your places of comfort or your, um, your fallbacks, right? Your security or what, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing just in nature. And I think for me and my pride or how I cover up my wounds pretty well. Like that was just one way for God to just sort of shake me free. Like it had nothing to sort of lean back on. So right. then it meant I had to lean back on him and I had to let him into those kind of darker situations and stuff. Um, so 
yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the place that was bad. It was just, God was just doing stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, ultimately it, it served a part of this crazy, you know, book that he's writing that is our lives and uh, just do my best to follow each page, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Amen, brother. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're back in Cali. I'm <laughs> glad you're with Father Dewey. He's the man. Um, yeah, he's definitely one of the ones we miss, man. I know him and he and Bill uh, still stay in touch, which is great. And Bill's actually on our board of directors for Seeking Excellence. So oh, it's awesome. always funny. Yeah, all the little the webs of, of the Catholic world. But um, that's great. So what we're going to talk about today is, is this idea of indifference and apathy. And so uh, about a year and a half ago now, when I was doing Exodus 90 last year, and like pre-starting Seeking Excellence and just kind of like the seeds were being planted and, and it's finally starting to grow, I wrote a blog uh, on indifference and indifference being the greatest poison of our time, you know, that quote that's attributed to St. Maximilian Colby. Uh, and I think, it, you know, he, he said that obviously a long time ago, um, 80 years ago now, what would it, yeah, about 80 years ago. And so you think about it in the middle of the 20th century, in the middle of all of these crazy things, right? He saw, uh, you know, he was in Auschwitz. He um, experienced the, the First World War. Like he saw some just atrocities, right? Some horrific things that happened in the world and still felt like indifference was the greatest poison of our time. And, you know, also makes me think of so many other great quotes, like, um, you know, all that's good, all that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to sit aside and do nothing. And I think that that's a lot of what we're seeing today. But today I want to take a different approach from it and kind of talk about Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. And one of those rules is that you need to get your own house in order before you go out and criticize the world. And, you know, you and I are both outspoken about a lot of things that are out in the world, right? And so <laughs> I'll probably be convicted by some of this stuff myself um, for sure. But I, I'm really intrigued by the fact that people are like really apathetic towards their own lives. It's one of the things that I think is so intriguing um, you know, about our modern day society is just how apathetic people can be towards their own salvation. And I'm sure you working in youth ministry have seen this a lot. And I think it's something that we battle, you know, I know I've done youth ministry, Emily's a youth ministry specialist for the Archdiocese of Denver. Um, and when you, you meet a lot of young people, and I think it makes more sense when you're 14, because you just, you don't care about a lot, you don't know what to care about, right. you know, or what not to care about at that point in your life. What is kind of your, your take or your approach or your opinion, I guess, on why do you think so many people are apathetic to their own salvation? We can obviously spread that into all of our seven pillars of excellence. I think there's things people are apathetic towards, but I think that that's, if you're, if you're apathetic to, in my mind, in my opinion, if you don't care about my, if I don't care about my own soul and I don't care about heaven or hell right. or having a relationship with God, then it, it, it follows that I wouldn't care about anything else. Right. Why right. should I? Yeah, no, it's true. I, I you know, I, I think a lot of it, uh, it's kind of like, um, like with those rude Goldberg devices, do you know what I mean? Where like you kind of trigger one thing, trigger one thing, and it just mm -hmm. kind of goes, right? I think like where we are is like way deep in that rude, rude Goldberg device. And I think sort of if we could like play it backwards or follow it back, ultimately I think it, it um, like the apathy we're seeing, which you're absolutely right, like working in the church or even just attending a church, like, uh, like apathetic Catholicism sadly is often the norm. You know, right? right? And it just becomes very, uh, even routine sounds, uh, I think, it's may sound harsh, but even too generous, right? It just becomes like whatever's tolerable, whatever's not going to ask enough of me, whatever will make me feel like I've done something without actually having to do something, you know? Right. Uh, whatever I can do to the point of it demanding something of me, I'll do on my schedule, on my time, in yeah. my, right? When it's convenient for me. Yeah. 
and, and I mean, full disclosure, like, I mean, that's a daily struggle for me, right? So this isn't like a, you know, good Catholic versus bad Catholic. Like, this is, I think, just a temptation of, of humanity, but we see it a lot in, in the lens of the, or in the situation of the church, because the church, the teachings, the gospel is probably the pinnacle area of all existence that calls man to not be apathetic, right? And so mm-hmm. in that contrast, we see ap- apathy probably pretty clearly, right? You right. can be apathetic in other areas and it maybe doesn't stand out, but when you see what Jesus did and what he taught, when you read scripture, when you hear the teachings of the church, like there's some pretty, um, pretty stark lines being drawn. And I think in contrast to those lines, apathy then is sort of easy to, to identify or spot, um, even if it is widely accepted, promoted and encouraged, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think ultimately pulling all that back, I think it comes down to vision. Um, vision for, right? Think about like someone working out. Um, if someone has a vision for six pack abs, mm-hmm. Like that vision, I mean, like, like not just like, oh, I wish I had it, but like, this is something that they think, or I, I know, I mean, you're obviously into to health and fitness and all that stuff. Like I remember re- my, my, old, my older brothers, they're, they're beasts when it comes to this. I'm, I'm the, I'm the odd man out when it comes to this, though. I, I really? enjoy that. Like, like, not like them. Like my oldest brother was a professional uh, bodybuilder. Like my middle brother, wow. Joe was, Olympic, he was at the Olympic training center, actually in Colorado for wrestling until he blew his shoulder out. Like they're just intense people, but like, it <laughs> sounds like, it. yeah, they're nuts, dude. Um, uh, because of it though, my, well, this is a small side note. My oldest brother, he's, I got two older brothers. Um, my oldest brother is gosh, 50 something. He's like 16 years older than me. So he's probably mid 50. Yeah. I'm 56 now, but he's literally like a, like an Ironman triathlete in October. He's going to the huge race in wow. Hawaii. Like the dude's intense. He trains MMA fighters. He has, um, uh, five wrestlers right now literally were just at, on the Olympic team out in, uh, in in Japan. Four of them, the four that were wrestling, one was an alternate. All four of them all got medals. He got a gold, a silver, and two bronze. And those are like the athletes that he personally trains. Like, wow. he's an, yeah, he's an intense dude. Um, so for me, though, like, sorry, this has a point, I promise. What, <laughs> I I'm, trying, what I'm trying to say is in the context of my life, like, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was a relative in a sense, right? In the, like you just grew up hearing about Schwarzenegger. But I remember as a kid, my brother would be watching these videos, documentary and stuff. And Arnold Schwarzenegger always talked about, like he would literally envision what he wanted his pecs to look like. Like, yeah, right. sure, he'd work out, but he literally would lay in bed for hours with his eyes closed and just envision. And he even talks about like, like his pecs being like mountains and things like that, uh, which, you know, whatever, you could take that with a grain of salt. But I think it's important what he's saying. He's like, the vision of it is going to lead to the action of it. And and if you have a vision for six pack abs, then that's going to come out when you sit down at the dinner table, Mm. right? When you pick up that brownie, you pick up that broccoli, right? Depending on, on how clear your vision is for what you want your body to look like, it's going to come out there. It's going to come out at six in the morning when you're either going to flip through Instagram for an hour or you're going to go out and hit the treadmill for, for an hour, right? Right. And I think when it comes down to like apathy, it's hard to be apathetic if you have a vision for your life, mm-hmm. right? Scripture talks about it. Proverbs was a 29, 18, I believe, right? Without vision, the people perish. Some, mm-hmm. some will say without vision, the people lose restraint. And I think that ultimately, even for Catholics, like we don't always have a, a clear grasp about when we say like, like, a vision of who God is, 
and a vision of what he wants for our life, um, a vision of what a family should be like, a vision of, of what a, a man should be like. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that end in mind, then anything will go, right? Um, right. Christopher West, obviously he does some amazing, amazing work in uh, Theology of the Body. And, and one of the analogies he uses in sort of a, um, like, moral decision-making or the importance of it is, is he'll just ask someone in the audience, um, give me directions. And he'll just kind of wait in a good goofy fashion that kind of elicits a, you know, like a, like a, a laugh or whatever. And it's a no, give me directions. And ultimately they can't give him directions and they'll probably respond with like, well, directions to where? And he's like, see, that's the point. If you don't know where I'm going, it's impossible for you to give me directions or better right. yet. If you don't know where I'm going, then any route will get me there. And I think ultimately the reason apathy initially maybe is is so prevalent in life, in even Catholic life, is because we don't have a clear vision. Either we haven't spent time letting God impart that vision, we haven't spent time with scripture or in prayer, or even just sitting and listening to our priests and our leaders who speak so eloquently about the vision of God and the vision of man in relation to God. And without that vision, then anything goes, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why would I stand up? It's uncomfortable, right? Why would I speak out? It's, it's going to rub people the wrong way, right? But when you all of a sudden start to get a vision for who you are, I think vision and purpose are connected, and then purpose would lead to your action or your response in any circumstance. I, I, like, I don't think you're a belligerent person. I don't think you just get online and yell stuff just because like you've got nothing better to do. I appreciate that. Right? Some people think that. So I'm glad at least one person out there doesn't. Well, what I'm saying is I'm not walking <laughs> around right. looking at yelling moral things randomly into the wind, right? But when there's a situation that presents itself that is destructive to obviously like we all have the situations, we're all sinners, we're all we all need to navigate our own personal conversion every day of the life, every day of our life. But, but when we come to like social circumstances, we realize like this world moves because of the actions of the people and the actions of the people are, are, are extensions of the ideologies that they're being given, that they're being fed. And so I don't believe right. you or, and I would say humbly me, like I don't walk around just trying to spout things at people randomly to try to get in their faces or I'm right. It's, no, like when there's an ideology that literally is killing people spiritually, physically, socially. Yeah. If I know my, if I know God's vision for humanity, if I know God's vision for my family or for my life, then there's this sort of like tension of like responsibility or culpability to figure out the right way lovingly to speak into or contrary to the ideology, not with my ideology but with the gospel, with, with Christian ideology and not because I'm doing it, but because it's the right thing to be done. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think a lot of it just comes back down to, to ha- not having a clear vision. And I think visionless living, it, it leads to apathy because, because why get off the couch, whether that's socially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, whether that's in a relation, why get off the couch, right? When you have a vision, you have a reason to get off the couch. And whatever that means or looks like in that circumstance. Amen. Dude, that was awesome. So I think you just gave, I, I feel like that should almost be our commercial for like why I started seeking excellence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's essentially it, man. Is I just always looked out 
and this is one of my favorite things about Dynamic Catholic that I really loved with working there and that I appreciate about their ministry is the four signs of Dynamic Catholic was the first time in my life when I was like 20 or 21 when I read that book that I was like, wow, this is the first time ever anybody's ever told me what it looks like to be a good Catholic. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like the first vision of like, well, what? Obviously, like you're Catholic. I'm like, I've gone to Catholic school at that point by the time I was 20 for right, right. 15 years. You know what I mean? And I'm like, nobody's ever really told me what's it take to be good at this. It's just like if you're a right. basketball player, if you're a football player, if you're a hockey player, if you're uh, a student, right? Like there's grades and you have a clear idea yeah. of what you need to do to achieve and to accomplish and to be successful in that. And obviously, success in the church doesn't have to be measured by the number of people who you sponsor into the church or solely measured in your minutes prayed or your masses attended and things like that. But it is, but we have to have something, right? Like we have to have some idea. Like if you read the gospel, if you read St. Paul's letters, like all he does is talk you through, this is what a good Christian, this is what a Christian does. And we really should drop the word. I think the only reason, I think a lot of people get offended sometimes if you say a good Catholic, because that implies there's bad Catholics. Right. But in a sense, the only reason why we say good and bad is because of this over emotionalized and sensitive, uh, you know, generation that we live in where people get offended if it's not even it's like St. Paul doesn't like when St. Paul St. Paul was bolder than us, bro. Like St. Paul didn't say a good Christian forgives other people. A good Christian loves a good Christian evangelizes. He says a Christian does this, which would imply that if you don't forgive, if you don't go to mass, if you don't, then you're not. You're, right. not, you're not in it at all, right? Like, like we right. only say good and bad because people, you know, get offended if we say, no, you're actually not Catholic. You're not practicing Catholic, whatever, however you want to distinct, you know, distinguish between practicing, non-practicing, faithful, devout, whatever, good, bad. But there's got to be some way to, to have that vision, exactly what you said of this outcome. And that's exactly what I always felt like seeking excellence was meant to be. It's just like a, a more comprehensive version of that, that I heard from so many people of, hear a lot of churches say you got to take care of mind body and soul you have to take care of this or that and i'm like what is everything because you can take care of mind body and soul but then if you're not tithing are you really you know if you're not loving your neighbor if you're like you can take care of mind body and soul without doing some of these things or at least people can think that i would there's obviously an argument to say you're not taking care of your soul if you're not tithing but you convince yourself that you are exactly and so that's why i was like what are the seven pillars that are very clear that help people to understand that you have this financial pillar of excellence which means being yes. disciplined with your money and uh, doesn't have to be, you know, stressful or anxious or I mean you have to seek to become a billionaire, but you have to tithe and you have to budget and just be aware of what you're doing. And so that you can be prudent for your future, for taking care of your family, whatever it might be, while also trusting in God. You know what I mean? And that's just one example. But uh, man, you know, given the directions of what you said, <laughs> of trying to help people to where are you trying to go? What is this, this outcome that we're trying to create in your life? And everybody in your life wants to give you directions that, you know, I used to always talk about my, uh, my parents, friends who would tell me, don't get married till you're 30, 35, you know, maybe have a kid or two, you know, all, all this advice, right. That they would just tell me all these things that a, a lot of it, if I'd followed, I'd be like very far away from the Lord. You I, know, obviously I'm not saying that people that get married later are far away from the Lord, but I mean, it was, a, I mean, I got a lot of advice, have sex with whoever you want to like, do whatever you want. Like, follow your passions, you know, like it would just, yeah, you know what I mean? It'd been a lot of self-love and self-centeredness. And um, honestly, I indulged in that a lot more than I wish I would have. Um, But you look back to those people and it's like, where, 
where you, it's almost the inverse of the question that uh, you talked about Christopher West. Instead right. of give me directions, it's like, where are you sending me to? Right, well, that's exactly it. Like uh, on one hand, we approach him, we say like, like, what is our destination, right? Heaven, sainthood, holiness, union with God, ultimately like, like human perfection in, in, in the truest sense, right? Uh, right? Fulfillment of all desire, right? all of that. Mm-hmm. And then you work backwards. You're like, okay, that's a place worthy of going. That's, in fact, that's the only place worthy of going. So now what steps, left, right, left, right, what steps will get me there? But then the world isn't concerned with your destination. The world just simply spouting out directions and then if we stop and add up their directions, it's very clear that we're going to miss our destination and it's just going to be hell. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be just destruction. Misery, yeah. depression. depression. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like addiction. Like, that's, that's exactly it. You know what I mean? I, it, it promises something, but when you start to add up the math, it's very clear. Like, well, the world doesn't care. The world isn't even considering your destination. Obviously we know spiritually speaking, the, uh, the enemy behind a lot of the ideologies of the world are definitely calculating your spiritual destination, but like the people that are pushing or the institutions, organizations, or the media, or I don't know, your favorite band or influencer is just like, well, you know what, explore yourself or go try this, sleep with it. What it like, they, they're not adding up on their own. Like they don't care where you're going, you know, right. just, just here's a direction, follow it. And we have to be the ones to be like, uh, like a direction. And a direction and a direction is ultimately going to lead to a destination. Where am I aiming? Like, right. You know, and again, if, if I'm visionless, anything goes. I'm not mm-hmm. aiming. I'll just, I'll just float and ultimately, you know, just kind of destroy ourselves. And, you know, as you were talking, it reminded us, um, I'm sure some brilliant saint said it, but um, uh, I don't remember it. But, but basically the idea that, like, the devil flourishes or thrives in ambiguity. Mm. And I find this so true in, in every aspect, of it. Like even like in, in work, like in managing a team or trying to have like clear job roles for someone on my team or for myself, like when there's ambiguity, man, the devil can come in and fill my head with regret, uh, fill with all this judgment or malice or, or presumed malice on a coworker. And then I start having these fights with the coworker in my head before I even talk to the coworker. Resentment, and then we yep. talk to the coworker and you're like, oh, Oh no, it was, I just didn't get, I didn't get that bit of clarity. Oh no. Like we're totally on the same team. Like, let's go, let's march. Right. Right. And the devil like thrives. And I think in Catholicism, to your point of going through Catholic school for so many years and being raised Catholic for, you know, into your twenties and never really having a clarity of what, like what concretely measurably, so to speak, does Catholicism look like, like in that ambiguity, when Catholicism or, or God or a relationship with God is presented in an ambiguous nature, then anything goes, right? There right. is, but we're just kind of floating in this nebulous that is Christianity. Well, I guess that's it. Well, they say it's it, or there's a lot of Christians doing this thing, so that must be okay. And well, we've got a someone in a high place of position who is of the same religious label, and they say abortion's okay, so I guess so. But like Catholicism has never been about ambiguity, right? We have these brilliant theologians, these brilliant teachers, we have scripture, we have the catechism, and it lists it out very lovingly and very grace-filled to accommodate all of humanity within that. But there is a, there is a vision of where we're going. And so those decisions, those steps, they matter, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite priests, uh, a close friend of mine, Father Jonathan Meyer, always says that clarity is charity. And 
it's so true and it's more than just like a a, a witty little hall, hallmark phrase right yeah it sounds it's good so but it is true <laughs> true and, and i mean again like we're man even working in parishes like for your staff for your your people on your your ministry like clarity is shared like that is so so needed uh we we brush it off a lot say, well you know we'll just kind of go with it we'll figure it out no i get that like maybe we have an openness or we're not really sure where to go but like if we really care for the person that we're being in, entrusted with whatever providing them anything vision for their work or family whatever it is like finding fighting for clarity is going to go so much further into them feeling successful at whatever that thing is that they're doing in life, in their job, in their relationship, you know, marriage, like when, when I can speak clearly with my wife, which I'm not good at, but man, when I am, can speak clearly with her and she's not left with an, a sense of ambiguous, how am I feeling or a sense of ambiguous? Like what are mm-hmm. your thoughts about this thing? which is what I want to do. Cause I process internally a lot and I get mad and I'm all over the place. And I know that. And then like, I can get it out, but like, she needs that clarity. And then to her, like it speaks love, you know what I mean? Like to not leave her guessing where I'm at in this emotional state or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah, no, it's so, it's such a gift, man. <laughs> clarity is, clarity is so, so needed, but going back to what you were saying before yeah. too, you know, I think, it's, it's exactly how a car GPS works, right? Like you put in your destination. What's the first thing the GPS has to do? It has to locate where you currently are. And then it gives you the directions on how to get to where you're trying to go, right? Like it's always in that order. And it really is just interesting, you know, when uh, we just have a, we have a world and a, and a society full of a lot of drifters who are just willing to go wherever the current is going to take them because they don't have to resist. You don't have to fight. You don't have to paddle, you know? And I think it's really, really intriguing um, how we've we've changed the the question from where are you going or where do you want to go to just like what feels good right you know? and if you if you do that if you think about it, like fitness is a great example of that right if I don't think of my end vision of where I want to be what are some of my fitness goals for the year or for my life whatever and I just like when it comes to fitness health nutrition I just do what feels good I sleep terribly because I stay up late right I'm eating like trash I'm yep. never working out, right? Because it doesn't feel good. Like I just, you know, uh, I'd rather sleep or I'd rather rest or play video yeah. games, whatever it might be, right? Like, so you just kind of yeah. drift into obesity. Like obesity is the natural form, you know? And I have a podcast I'm recording soon on like um, the life of anti-excellence. Like what is the opposite mm-hmm. of what I'm trying yeah. to preach to the world? And, uh, you know, just, it's so crazy how all the, one of the the big findings for me and that made me think about that episode and just kind of, how important that is to the ministry to have that uh, the opposite, you know, available or make people aware of that is how, you know, I often say that the seven pillars are so interconnected and so reliant and dependent and correlated with one another um, and have this like causal relationship of growth or destruction. And the opposite is true, right? Like when it's in the negative side, like I remember it, it all struck me one night when I was in Walmart at like 10 PM in Atchison, Kansas. Right. And so yeah, I'm thinking at Walmart, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a place. Yeah, Especially it's late. I think, <laughs> yeah, legit. Yeah, it's like a, a highlight, you know, for the yeah. day. But uh, when you go when you go to any Walmart late at night, I remember I had a really ratchet one in my hometown. But when you go to Walmart and stuff like that, like I just remember seeing people who it's like, they were clearly not financially successful. They were, um, you know, obese. They were like really like nasty and like their language and the way they were acting towards each other and things like that. You know, and it's like, you don't want to make too many judgments, but it's like, they don't seem necessarily like they're going to daily mass. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't know if these are church going people. They're not behaving like it, but they might be. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you just start to see, I'm like, man, in a similar way of where I'm trying to teach people to be healthy and active and financially sound and go to mass and pray regularly and be good contributing members of society. And, um, you know, all of these other, have good mental health. Like you realize like how much like poverty, obesity, addiction, depression, anxiety, right. Uh, falling away from your faith. Like all of these things can be so closely related. Obviously there's exceptions to that. There's tons of people who sure. live in poverty who are super strong in their faith. Um, and, and oh, people who are obese that are strong in their faith, whatever it might be. Right. Um, but it is interesting how often all these things come in, in groups, right? Like they come together. Um, and yeah. And I think that if you don't have that direction, if you don't have that idea, um, you know, and you saying that the devil loves ambiguity, I also was thinking earlier, your first answer was just kind of like almost a backtracking of what I feel like the devil's goals were right. Like to take away directions from people and then to take away the vision, you know, that people have, um, or not even take away the direction, but to, you know, mess them up and just like give people all kinds of, give them directions to wherever they want to go, take away the end goal of going to heaven or hell, destroy, you know, one of the most popular heresies of, of all time, like destroy that heaven and hell even exists or that right. you have to do anything to, to escape hell. Um, but then also, I think one of the big things in there is that uh, enemies convert a lot more often than the lukewarm do. Mm-hmm. Enemies of the church. You know, I was just recording a podcast the other day with Emily and Bella Bryant about uh, the sexual revolution and, um, we were kind of, we watched this Lila Rose video from live action, uh, right beforehand. And it, he, she was talking about how there was this dude who was one of the like founders of Pan- Planned Parenthood, who was mm-hmm. super aggressive in, in getting abortion, uh, popularized and, and widely accepted and encouraged and how he later, uh, uh, converted to Catholicism. And so I'm like, this so often, it's so crazy mm-hmm. how often that happens, whether it be former Nazis or, you know, you hear these crazy stories of these people who do, yeah. I mean, St. Paul is a great example, right? We've been right. talking about him, right? These people who are enemies of the church, like when you, I think that's why God in scripture tells us, you know what I mean? How the lukewarmer is least favorite. Cause it's like, if you yeah. go really hard against the church or think about Lee Strobel's, these people who mm-hmm. go out to, um, to prove, prove yeah. yeah, to prove Christianity doesn't exist or Christianity is wrong. And then they end up becoming Catholic or Christians. And it's like, man, uh, no. the lukewarm though, you don't hear those stories. No, no. And I mean, Jesus has some choice words for the lukewarm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in, in, in scripture. And I think obviously there's probably a lot to play with that, but something that's interesting about that. Um, this is, uh, okay, I'm going to get a point out and then circle back to it. Cause there's two things. In fact, okay. I got to take order here. Um, but, but uh, the, oh shoot, now I probably just derailed my own thought. Um, the, <laughs> you were just talking about the lukewarm. Okay. Whether you're, let's say, for the church or for morality or like like the abortion instant, uh, example, right? Adamantly for abortion or adamantly against abortion. And you're seeing this like conversion happen. I mean, because both of those stance are places of conviction, places of, of passion, right? Now, sure, we know that morally speaking, there's one that's right and one, that, one that's wrong, but you have this sense of uh, selling yourself for that cause. And there's this uh, almost like self-donation for that cause now whatever's causing you to do it you know whether that's addiction or demonic demonic like mental distortion whatever it is right like there's an all-in sort of like on the line mentality right this conviction for it and i think it's sort of like um uh what, what, what do they say the the an object in motion remains in motion until acted upon or something like that but an equal and opposite force i think the idea that like those convictions are something in motion right and and it's it's a lot 
maybe I won't say easier for God because God, I mean, what is difficult for God, right? But maybe there's a logical understanding in that something that is moving, when it gets just tilted one degree, it's going to keep moving, but now in a different angle, right? But something that is standing still, the lukewarm, well, now you've got to get them caring enough to move, right? And then that moving, that direction has to be oriented. But I think in this way, you have like people who are maybe morally bankrupt, but they're passionate about it. And there is something about that that I think that once the Holy Spirit takes that, like St. Paul, right? Or, or whatever it may be, like, it's sort of like, I've got all this inertia and I just get to put it in this, this direction now in, right. in, in a certain way. And what the second thought that I'm coming around to, um, when, when I moved to Georgia, my heart was aching for California a lot. And not just, um, not just like, oh, the, you know, nice beaches and my family was back here. That was a huge thing, but like, like just the people of it or the state of it. And, and it was crazy when I was in Georgia, I just found myself praying a lot for California and at that point in time, California is always on fire, it seems. But at that point in time, there was like crazy fires raging through California. And we were, California was in the middle of this like, like multiple year long drought. Like the circumstance was dire. And I remember I was, I was in Georgia and I was, just, I was at a coffee shop, just having like my coffee and like reading kind of morning prayer type of thing. And I just found myself praying more and more for California and just for um, like, like uh, rains, right? For an end to the drought. And, and, and I just felt that there was this, as much as there's a physical drought, there's a spiritual drought going on in California. But then the the image in my own prayer, and sorry if this is like tangential, but the image in my thing, own man. prayer was this idea like, like when there's a drought, yeah, you don't have water, but there's also a result of not having water. You have a ground that is thirsty. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ground, like when it rains in California, when we do get rain, if it's anything more than like a, like a, a nice, like subtle rain, immediately we'll have floods and this, that, and the other, because the, the, the ground is so thirsty that like it, there's this sort of like relationship about how much water it can actually consume at a time, so to speak, or absorb. And so when it's coming in at a certain rate, it can absorb it and and kind of have this maybe reviving nature to it. But if it comes faster than that, it's just going to flood and we have chaos. Right. Anyways, this image kind of was just on my heart for the spiritual state of California and that, that, that was, we're in a drought, but man, we're ground, we're spiritually thirsty. And that's a ground that can receive grace when it starts to come in a slow, consistent, pecking, dropping kind of way. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying in terms of that analogy? Absolutely. And, and in that same time, I found myself praying about California and, and I realized like all of California has been claimed by God and not just in a metaphorical way, but like literally like San Diego, Santa Monica, San Clemente, like every major state, San Francisco, every major city in our state is named after a saint. Our, our, we have Santa Cruz, literally the Holy Cross. Our capital is Sacramento, named after the Blessed Sacrament itself. Los Angeles, the, the guardian angels, like because the, the missionary fathers came through and, and, and completely consecrated this place to, to Jesus, right? They've right. named it, they've given it to him. I'm getting to I've never really thought about that. It's so true. Well, and this is what was stirring in my heart as I was kind of sifting through all this. And then, and then this is what struck me. And I was like, God, like, if this is all you like your place, like, why is it so freaking morally bankrupt? Like, why are we one of the like leading causes of like just destructive thought in the rest of the world? Like through our media industry or whatever it is, like 
California sets a lot of cool trends in fashion or in music, but often in the ideologies that are laced with any, any of those industries to begin with, right? Absolutely. And then, and then I came across the St. Augustine quote. And this for me, I just put a huge perspective on it. And this comes full circle, I promise. Augustine said something to the effect, and I'm, I'm probably not going to nail this perfectly, but he said, he who is lost in his passions is closer to God than he who has lost his passions. Mm. And, and he's, <clears throat> he's striking on the idea that the human heart desires God. And there's a big part of our society, for one reason or another, has cauterized that desire. A lot of times that happens in the church, right? That, that, that your bodily desire, your humanly desire is bad. So you just need to be this stoic sort of like machine. A lot of times people cauterize that desire because desire hurts, right? Desire right. involves suffering, right? But then there's a lot of people who've confused the desire to where its destination should be. And they pursue the desire, which is good. But the way they're going to try to find the fulfillment for that desire is destructive or is bad. And I think that is what Augustine is talking about, that the person who's lost in their desire is actually closer to God than he who has lost his desire. And to the point of these converts that you're talking about, the inertia, that is someone lost in the desire, fighting for something, fighting for even what they feel is good, right? Because right. I mean, I, I forget who it was recently speaking, but, but they basically said like, no one is really convinced that what they're doing is bad. Mm -hmm. Occasionally you may have people who are sadistic in that way, but most people who are fighting for what we would blatantly say are bad things, are somehow deep down inside, twisted, demented, tormentedly convinced that it's somehow good, right? right. And I think that that idea of like California and a lot of places are so lost in their passions or in their desire. But man, when God starts to knock on that door, when he can start to move those hearts, that desire is going to come with it. That's why I think you see amazing conversions happening from people who we would probably most write off. You know what I mean? Hell, yeah. look at Kanye. Yeah. Like, I'm so, I'm just, I pray for, for Kanye all the time. I love the fact that like, he's this crazy guy, just like out there all left field doing all these things. And then he's just like, he's that crazy and outspoken with his conversion. Right. Yeah. He's, still, he's still in that process, but he's like, there's no um, changing or no kind of holding back the tide of who he is in that conversion when he has it. It's more of just like, now he's on the late show talking about, you know, how abortion's wrong and hide your kids and hide your wives from the media, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dang, like it's the same Kanye, but that inertia has been redirected in a right. sense, right? I don't know. That's a long tangent, but I think it's very, it's very, I don't know, relevant to what you're saying that, that we see these amazing conversions happen and apathy is not a part of those lives, right? There are amazing people who are fighting for things contrary to the gospel. Right. And they're not apathetic. And that mo that inertia ends up being a great ingredient when conversion happens, right? Absolutely. But usually in our church is where we have the bigger issue with apathy, right? The the frozen chosen, as as Mark Hart would say, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, it's so crazy. And I, I always need that reminder too, you know, I think for my own humility and I think for all of our uh judgment and things like that that we have. Uh, you know, that we all struggle with, I think, at times. And one, one thing that you reminded me of in, in saying that is that I, I once heard, the, and I don't know where this quote came from, or, you know, I don't know that this is like out of the catechism, 
Sure. It was some quote from somebody that, that moved me a long time ago that said, the only way that we can really guarantee hell for someone, which I always say, you know, the church is not in the business of, uh, when people will be like, is, is Hitler in hell? Is it, it's like, we don't know. We only, we only guarantee certain people are in heaven. We call those people saints, canonized saints, you know? Um, but for uh, the only way that you can guarantee hell for yourself or anyone else, and we can never know anybody's heart to know this, but is to know, believe, understand, and accept church teaching and choose to reject it anyways. Mm, right. 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 Which if you think about what that means then is that like people like you and I much more than somebody who's not formed and is out there, you know what I mean? Like marching forward. Yeah. Encouraging everything that we disagree with. Right. right. Uh, that we're in a day or in a, almost not a more dangerous spot. Right. Because we're like in the body of Christ and we're practicing right. and we're striving mm-hmm. and we go to confession and we're growing and we pray and things like that. Um, but at the same time, like we are still at the, the fall is much higher or, you know, is much more difficult when you are ascending the mountain and you're trying to, you know, carry your cross for sure. You choose to regret that or reject that. And I always, you know, point to the, the great saints who went to confession regularly and why they did that. And just our need for the same thing, because when I, I remember hitting a, like a stark difference in, in, let's say my struggle with sexual sin, where there's a time when I was 15, 16, where I really didn't know. You know what I mean? I really didn't accept, understand, and believe church teaching. And then failing right. when I was 22 was much, much different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was intentional, it was chosen. Um, and you just think about how much more offensive that is to the Lord. Just similar, like, uh, you know, you as a parent, probably, right? Like if your son gets smart with you when he, or is disrespectful when he's four or five and he doesn't really understand as much, right. you know what I mean? Like how his words might be hurting you or understanding versus if he was 25 and said the same things to you. Yeah, you know, it's a lot different. His understanding oh. of that is a lot different. So, yeah, Absolutely. it's so important for us to always remember that. And just keep that in mind. Like my sins are, you know, in some ways, you know, I, I choose to go out here and try to speak, speak on the Lord's behalf, to share the message, to share the gospel and try to be an example of the people. And then when I choose to divert from God's plan for my life, like how much he's like, you know what I mean? It's almost more of like a Judas right. situation. Like, it's like, you're one of, you're in the fold, dude. Like you can't be doing that. Yeah, you right. know what I mean? Right, because it's one thing to betray Jesus with with a, a, a nail and a hammer. It's another thing to betray him with a kiss. Do you know what right. I mean? Like there is that that intimacy that that Judas was invited to. You know, and and obviously, like Christ aches over all of us departing him, but in a very human way. What what must have that the pain of feeling Judas turn on him or Peter denying him versus the the person who wasn't. In, in the relationship with them, spitting and cursing and mocking them, right? Like, yeah, right. sure, that would hurt from a human standpoint, but like the, there's that betrayal of intimacy almost, you know? And I think the more intimate we grow with the Lord, like there is that, uh, just that, 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 that weight of, of what that relationship can be when we take it for granted, you know? Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right. That idea uh, about like, uh, you know, like guaranteeing who, who's in health, or whatever and i think it's a beautiful teaching of our church what is heartbreaking is when that's often then used to be like oh well then do whatever you want you know what i mean kind of thing and it's yeah, like, like don't preach the gospel <laughs> exactly yeah or, or even like well who are you to judge well, well no like it's very clear that i'm not saying that person's in hell or will be in hell but it, but that action is very clear like i got a list of things in scripture and this is one of them and it says that's not okay you know and you're like like i think sometimes we it's this weird tension in the middle that we have to live, right? The yep. beauty of mercy and then understanding that mercy isn't just there 
to like forgive something and then go your own way, but rather it's to restore and it's restored to a relationship. And so on that tension is like, well, no, like we've got to care about these people, anyone's relationship with God enough to speak into it, you know, hence maybe go back to the, to the apathy thing. Like if we actually had a vision for how that person, your, I don't know, your sister-in-law or whatever is supposed to, a vision that they're called to heaven, a vision that they're made for a relationship where they're not abused or a vision that, that they're made for, for something greater than whatever they're settling for, then somehow we've got to have enough love for that person to figure out the right way to, to remind them of that vision, to help, you know, course correct, not forcing, but invite to course correct, you know, right. rather than just say like, well, you know, God's mercy and then just like step back, you know. Absolutely. And I mean, in a very real sense, we're called to not just sit back and watch the world destroy itself. You know I mean, what I mean? The church outlines the the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy very clearly. And, right. and, and I think that not all the corporal works of mercy, but a good chunk of them, there's a lot of us in the church who are just like, yeah, go get them. That sounds great. Because there are also ones that can have been and can be co-opted very easily by the world and look very good or look very, you know, like, yeah, we, we care for, for the marginalized or we care for this, that, and the other. And we can rally behind that because it doesn't put us at odds with the world, right? Right. No one probably, you know, you're like, feed the hungry. No one in the world's probably like, well, that's ridiculous. You're a bigot. Blah, blah. It's like, well, no, like, okay, good. Yeah. You Everyone's a hero. Hungry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know what I mean? But there are other ones that start to offend the ways of the world. But then you move into the spiritual works of mercy and damn near all of those are going to offend the world. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? yeah. But that's still, an, it's an act of mercy, an act of, I mean, mercy to give your heart to a heart in need, right? Like that's what we're doing. And mm-hmm. we recognize that when this heart in need has a vision and a destination and a plan of, that God has made them for and calling them to, if we're not giving them our, ourselves or whatever it may be in that spiritual or corporal work of mercy, like, we're neglecting love, we're neglecting God from that equation, you know, and, and that's Absolutely. not Catholic. It's not that it makes you bad Catholic, it means you're not Catholic, you know, right. you're not Christian if you're, doing it, if you're not doing it, you you're know, literally and not doing it. For myself, like, I can flop in and out of, of this Christianity very easily, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. And yeah, I think the other thing too, with that is that we want people to experience as much of heaven on earth as, as they can, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, who are you to judge? And it's like, dude, it's not always like, I think a lot of times, and sometimes we're poor, we do a poor job of this as evangelists of trying to lead always with what we want people to stop doing mm-hmm. versus highlighting what we want you to experience, what we want you to start doing and what, you know, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, like how great those things are, you know, like, and, and it's like, you no, know, I just don't want you to be divorced and miserable and caught in this, yeah, abusive or adulterous relationship, whatever it might be. Um, I want you to be in a happy marriage. I want you to raise happy, healthy, spiritually, physically healthy, emotionally healthy children. You know, like I want all these things for you. And then the other side of that too, I think is that uh, the danger of a lot of people that I think has been passed down through a lot of generations. And uh, this excuse has been passed down through many generations, I believe, and is going to hold up uh, at the final judgment uh, less and less over time is the pleading of ignorance. And I always just try to stress that for people is that if you want to learn the best way to live, if you're curious about God in today's day and age, you have access to everything. Everything. We're yeah. connected, you know, on, online with other human beings. You are connected with the internet, with Google and with websites and the catechism 
Um, if you live in America, you have the, you probably have the means at least in some form or fashion to buy books or at least get a library card or, you know what I mean? Like you have access to everything you need to figure this stuff out. Now there's a lot of stuff to go through. Sure. But do I think somebody who's actively searching and seeking is a lot better off than somebody who's not trying at all and doesn't take time to actually learn about these things. Sure. Uh, but this, this, like the ignorance defense, I think is, is still common because I'm sure people a thousand years ago, and you've always, I mean, I remember hearing this, um, you know, 20 years ago of, of people saying things like, well, what if there was a kid, you know, who lived in a village or whatever, and they die when they're 10 and they never heard of Jesus. Like, does that person go to hell? You know what I mean? And yeah. the catechism, you know, praise the Lord speaks to a lot of those, you know, unique circumstances, right. but it's interesting to hear 30 year olds in America compared, like use that analogy to that's their situation. Exactly. To, to, you know, to use it as their own defense. And it's like, that's it, like being in court and trying to draw up a case that's utterly different than yours. <laughs> right. like, well, right. in this ruling, the Supreme Court is like, bro, that's, you know, a burglary case, you committed murder. Like that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> Absolutely, it has nothing to do with it, yeah. It's crazy, man. But yeah, ignorance is just, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna do it for people. And I think that that's another reason why we have to go out there and share and be bold in our faith. Um, it's not just, to, like you said, to judge and condemn and all that. But to inform people and, and, and inform people of stuff that they can learn on their own, but even if they're not willing to, that we're willing to be that bridge and to help them and help them get started and point them in the right direction and be the one voice of reason in their life uh, for many people and uh, trying to give them, you know, what the Lord says is, is light. Yeah, you know? I, I think to that point, like the, I mean, right, scripture talks about like the, the kindness of Lord, uh, the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance, right? Or it, you see right. it in all, all the examples, but like when someone encounters the love of Jesus, repentance is the fruit of that, like often, right? And and sometimes, I mean, in ministry, like I'll fully confess, like, especially early on, like <laughs> I was twisted and not in, a, not in a bad way. I thought what I was doing was good, right? But like in my mind, I was like, I, I want these teens to feel horrible about their, about their sins and feel like they're, you know, shit, just make them feel bad. And and then like, like, then they'll have conversion. Right. And, and, and the reality was that was just, that was actually what my experience was. And I just felt I was a bad person and, and I looked at the cross and just felt like crap. Right. But that was never Jesus. That was never the Holy Spirit. Like that was a, dis, that was a distorted understanding of the cross, right? The cross sure. wasn't a sign of my, my condemnation or how bad I am. It was a sign of, of my liberation and actually how good I am in the eyes of God, how worthy I am to him that he would, he would send his son to die for me. Like that's a big price tag that he willingly put on me. That's a way different appeal, right? That, that you were worth this much. And it that's why the cross happened versus you were this bad. And that's why the cross happened. You know, Absolutely. I, don't mean, I don't mean to soften it in the sense of like, like what well, everyone gets a ribbon and everyone's just fine. But I mean, like, no, we're all sinners. We're all broken, right? Right. We've all earned death, but God made us good. And even sin can't take away the goodness of what he made. And he sees that goodness. And that's why he wants relationship. That's why he died on the cross, because we are that good, right? Um, man, the, uh, Louis Giglio, Protestant uh, evangelical uh, guy, but he, he wrote this book. And, and, uh, and I'll probably confuse it, but what he says in there, he says, he says, to God the Father, you are worth the life of God the Son. <sighs> like, that's a, like, that puts the cross in a way different perspective, right? Absolutely. So, to the point of affirming what you're saying, like yeah. evangelizing with the the better life that you're invited to, absolutely. Like that that's the like that's the primary call of evangelization. I think for me, and I struggle with that, and I analyze it like in myself, 
um, over this past couple of years. Cause like, I mean, that's, that's what I do. Like I, I get to travel and, and evangelize like mostly teenagers and young adults and, and, and finding like, what well, am, am I, when I speak about something socially, or should I say, when I speak against something socially <laughs> rather than for something socially, right. Am, am I not evangelizing or what, what is that sort of, am I not, should I just talk about how great like it is on this side without acknowledging something on the other side, so to speak. And I think there's a place for that. But for me, when the voices start getting louder and louder about how, I'm going to use quotes, how good this bad thing is, mm-hmm. that's where we have to step in and say, mm, no, like you were, the devil is perverting. We have what's good over here, right? The fruit of the spirit, like you taught, we have that. But now the devil is perverting good and, and he's giving that label to something that is destructive. So right. now like I, I have to speak out against it and not in a way because like, I think it's wrong, but because it is wrong because this is the gospel that this is the death that all these, what we're offered is actually trying to save us from. Right. And so I, I think we can use that as an escape sometimes like, yeah, like people like <laughs> uh, distinctly over this past year, like against stuff specifically going on in California with our governor and different things like that. And like, like I was very outspoken about a lot of the destructive things that were happening. I wasn't bad mouthing anyone. I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't mean. Like, but like, hey, here's this policy. This is how it's hurting people, you know? And mm-hmm. I was I was resilient in in, in sharing that through, uh, this is on Facebook, like throughout the uh, past couple of months, whatever, leading to election, things like that. And, and a good, well-meaning Catholic brother was like, hey, could you just stop talking about politics and just just talk about the goodness of the gospel? He's like, come on, I need help spreading the light. And I asked him, I was like, well, what is politics? He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, no, you want me to stop talking about it. What is politics? And I gave him the book dictionary definition of politics. And that the reality is politics is morality in movement, right? Politics is legislating morality, fighting or vying for one way or another to make this thing right. inclusive, illegal, acceptable, or elite or not. As Christians, we have to speak into that because we know that there are things that are completely contrary to the gospel. So you're just upset or what you maybe want to hear is like the Disney portion of, of my <laughs> right? right? Yeah. But, and don't get me wrong, I love Disney, but like, but like the reality is the reason we have the Disney portion, the reason we have that fulfillment, the everlasting life, like we won't get there if we, if we don't acknowledge like the snakes in the grass. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so we have to be able to speak out and it's not easy. It's not fun. And, and, and all that. And then you lose a lot of followers or whatever it may be. And, and I guess my biggest prayer for all of us is that whenever we feel that conviction and we hear the world speaking that much about something in the wrong way, that we would speak about it to correct it in the right way, but obviously with love and with sound reason. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like so much of the stuff going on in the world right now, it just lacks all reason. And if you can lovingly find yourself in a conversation and just like pose a question that just makes the logic fall, you just sort of like, you know, and you can just step back a little bit and you just see like the, the gears crumbling because it's so illogical, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't hold up when you just present some aspect of order or logic or truth or you know something like that so but it's got to be done with love it's it's not easy and it's tempting to go crazy and just throw social media (laughs) bombs do you know what i'm saying oh yes i think you know that i know what you're saying (laughs) when you say that absolutely man that's 
one sorry, one more thing on this note. Yeah. Someone said this and it really resonated with me. Cause like I I I try I try to discern what every moment of communication is or has the potential to be. And the reality is like if I'm sitting down with a person, my communication with them is is going to reflect that environment, that relationship, and that topic in a very unique way. When I'm on social media, depend, even depending on the platform, like, like how I communicate from Twitter to Facebook to Instagram or whatever, it, it varies. Um, mm-hmm. One, just trying to be aware of who, who's on there, but two, the platform itself and its limitations and its lack of interpersonal communication cues and all this stuff. And, and, and the reality is like a lot of social media posting for me is uh, someone once said, I don't post to convince people or to change people's minds. I convince so that the people who think like me know that they're not alone. Because mm-hmm. I think over this past year, that's been one of the biggest things that right. there's this pushing ideology and narrative in, in, in so much media that seeks to make you feel like you're the crazy one if you have an opposing thought, that you don't believe in love if you don't think this, that you are anti human if you don't believe there are 3000 different genders, right? And I don't mean that lightly, but I mean, literally, like, and I think so many people, especially young people, young people want to love, like, we're all broken at it. But I think at the end of the day, humanity wants to love other people. Nobody walks around and says, who can I hate today? Granted, we end up doing that. But like, very few people, I think, are in that lot of life. We want to love or be good towards people, right? Be kind. The problem is the world has framed all of these things in such a way that if we have a contradictory thought, then we're unloving, yep. then we're against choice, then we're, we're bigots, then we're whatever it may be. And I think that's where like, for a lot of teams, like I want them to know, like, no, when you hear uh, on, on Facebook now that there are 52 genders you can choose from, that's illogical and you're not going insane. You know what right. I mean? So I'll post about it because I want them to know like you're not alone because if they don't hear an opposing voice, then that, that tidal wave is just going to mount, whether that be actual there or just mentally there. And the devil will ultimately lead them into that ambiguity. And then, you know, what, what decisions matter, right? Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's so good. That was a, that was a uh, you know, tangent, but anyway. Yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it's so important, man. And I think, um, you know, I love what you said there about letting other people know that you're not alone. They're not alone and thinking like you, uh, is something that, yeah, it's, it's something definitely a motivator for me um, as well, you know, just like letting people know one of my biggest motivators is always like, and obviously a lot of people drown this out and aren't open to this, but there is some people who are, is I always just say, you don't get the religious perspective, the conservative perspective, like neither of those come naturally, right? Like you have to seek it out right. as where the, uh, the opposing, you know what I mean? Views are, are commonplace. You see them on the news, you see them in movies, you see it in TV, you see it on in athletes, you see oh, it, every, taught it in school, you're taught it in school. Exactly. So there is no, like the only way to get it is social media and then like conversations, yeah. podcasts, things like that. And so it's like, wherever you have my, wherever I have a platform, I try to do that because I do think it's one of my strengths to be able to express myself and explain right. my beliefs. You know what I mean? And not just because there's a lot of people out there who do a lot of damage, I think by saying, you know, abortion's evil. And then people are like, that's stupid because X, Y, and Z, and then they have nothing to say back. And it's like, you know, right. maybe if you don't have any response to like the most basic 
pushback. Like, yeah, maybe you aren't, maybe you are the person who should just pray for the end of the abortion. Right, right, right. That platform is probably not the best outlet. You're the, uh, like, just stick, you should be doing rosaries at Planned Parenthood. And and that's a beautiful role to play. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not downplaying that or saying that one part positions other, and that you and I should be praying the rosary outside Planned Parenthood because we should, you know, like, I think all of us are called to different things and we can all share in each other's roles, right? It doesn't mean that if you're not fully ready to explain everything that you shouldn't speak up, but just, I think it's important for those of us, you have to understand your gifts, right? And like, what's your, your strengths and what you're good at and, and what God's calling you to most importantly. Um, right. And so, yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing uh, what you do. I think that's a great place to, to kind of wrap it up. And I, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I'm so grateful, man, for you uh, chatting with me today. And thanks for sharing all this. I think it was a great conversation and Hopefully everybody out there who listened, I hope you all enjoyed and um, and learned a lot from it. I know I did today uh, of speaking with you, David. And so uh, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to having you again in the future, man. Absolutely, man. I just want to say I, I appreciate you. Not I mean, not just this time, but like you and who you are, especially who you are, where you are, whether that's in work or, or on the platform. I think God is uh, he just got mighty things for you in store. Just keep leaning into it. Like this is the kind of voice, like I'm getting old, dude, I'm a retire and be in a wheelchair in a couple of years. You know what I mean? Like, like this, is this, like you and just your tenacity, uh, I would say your holy tenacity, right? It's not just aggression for the, it's like, no, it's, it, it's, it's vision driven. And it's, it's thank you so much. Like um, that's what we need, man, in the church. And we need it in places like here, like, like on Instagram, like wherever you find yourself. So keep it up, dude. I'm praying for you and soon to be family and all that. Uh, excited for you, man. That's right. We're getting after it, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Everyone listening, uh, definitely go check out David on Instagram. We'll be linking all that uh, below. Um, definitely appreciate your encouragement and kind words, man. You've always been a great encourager for me um, on social media and, and now uh, here face to face. So I'm very grateful for that um, and hope that this conversation helps everybody out there to go fight for what's good in the world and strive to be your best.